fall back to thinking, time for thinking ahead. World is changed so Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bill Reach Teach podcast. I am Shanina, your host for the show. I'm so excited that you are back on listening. Yesterday, we had Alex live from Minneapolis, a resident there, talking about his experience. Today, we're going to focus on the police department, learning about the factual information. And I have my brother on, um, Levi Bradley, just to give his insight growing up in Minneapolis and some of the impact that it's having on our community. Before we get started with our guests, I definitely want to just go over some facts about Minneapolis. Some of the things I've learned um, is, first of all, I was born in Chicago, Illinois, but I was raised in Minneapolis. So all of my family, my mom, my sister and her kids, aunties and uncles live in Minneapolis. Um, I went to high school there. I went to college there. So I'm very, very familiar with all the interactions there as it relates to the community. But some of the things I want to point out is that... um, Some of the facts that you need to know about Minneapolis and it's the police department. One of the things that I learned growing up is that black people are stopped more by the police than their white counterpart. Um, Minnesota is made of 63% white, only 19% black, and about 6% um, Asian Americans. However, a study that was found um, in 2015 found by the ACUL found that black residents were seven times to 16 times likely to be arrested for low-level crimes such as marijuana, looting, disorderly conduct. Black people in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and St. Paul are much larger rates of being arrested compared to their counterparts. What is this saying? It is saying that if you are in Minneapolis, you are very likely to be pulled over by the police or if you're walking down the street, questioned by the police more times than your white counterpart. And that is something that I had to grow up in, being racially profiled by the Minneapolis St. Paul Police Department. It is a situation that has been brewing there for decades. And because of who they are and what they represent the police department, it has always been a double standard. I'll do what I wanna do to you, And if you don't listen to me, I'll make sure to punish you 10 times more. So it is sad to me. And I know that the people there are suffering because what you see is decades of frustration and buildup that the police department has, as a culture, has denied and ignored equal and liberal rights to all Americans, not just white Americans. And so for it to make up 19% of black people but have seven to 16 times likely for you to get arrested is a problem because you're black. These are the issues that we're discussing. This is where the anger and frustration is coming from. This is where equality is not equal. And so this is what you're seeing playing out today. I want to go ahead and welcome my guest, Levi Bradley. He is an advocate from the community. He works with youth. He's a football coach. Um, He's done a lot of community work in Minneapolis and Chicago. He was born in Chicago, but was raised in Minneapolis. He's very familiar with what's going on there at this time. He also happened to be my lovely brother. So Levi, without further ado, go ahead and introduce yourself to the podcast. Thank you, Shanina. I appreciate your time. I appreciate this platform and uh, appreciate the opportunity to uh, let uh, my voice be heard um, as a proud Southside Chicago slash South Minneapolis native. 
Um, so I definitely got a lot to say. Um, I've been on the front line seeing uh, what's going on here. Um, everybody in Detroit knows me quite well. Um, I'm also associated with, you know, Sound Mind, Sound Body Football Academy, which has been a um, community effort to help a lot of kids, not only from Detroit, but um, all over the country, particularly the Midwest region, um, you know, gain that exposure uh, to get off to college. Uh, so, you know, typical uh, <clears throat> typical Detroit saying, you know, what up, Dodo, everybody that way. Um, but yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, Detroit is my, Detroit is my second home. So. So yeah, but getting but getting right into it, yeah, it's 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 definitely a lot going on, um, and I'm I'm telling you, no nobody can tell you better about um, about what's going on than myself. Um, I'm a Southsider. Um, I went to Minneapolis Washburn, which is a football powerhouse, uh, 38th in Chicago, as we call it. Trey Eight um, is a, is an area that all of us have had a profound. Uh, it's had a profound impact on us as young men growing up. Um, I saw everything on 38th growing up. Um, everything in some good and bad. Um, the owner of that um, uh, store, Cup Foods, uh, Mike, is a person that's known me since high school. I had a chance to go see him and talk to him personally um, about everything. Um, he actually did not call the cops. It was his uh, his niece. His niece is 16 years old. She called the cop about the counterfeit bill. He wasn't even there. And then, um, so you're talking about um, the situation with uh, George. Can you give us a little bit of insight? Because I know you're in Minneapolis right now, um, yes. taking care of some business and handling things. So you you actually know the direct link about what happened be yes. prior to him being killed. Can you give us some information about that? Yeah, ab yeah, absolutely. So um, Cup Foods has been in the community for 31 years. Um, it has been like no different than a, a bodega in New York. Or, or in Chicago, or corner stores, we call them in Chicago, where, you know, you can kind of get everything there that you want. Um, the family, uh, the people that run it are people in the community, well, you know, very well respected in the community, um, and, you know, got long reach with political, you know, figures in the community. Everybody knows Cup Foods and, and Mike and those guys. Um, Mike, the guy that was on TV, the Islamic brother that was on TV, he, he was not there. Um, his, his niece, as he said, she was about 16 years old, was there. And I guess George came in allegedly or, or something happened, as you're hearing. And um, she called the cops from that perspective. Um, and then when they talked to him, things were going smooth and somehow it escalated to what it, we now see. Um, so, you know, that being said, she called Mike back and was, you know, crying like Uncle Mike. I think they're trying to kill this guy. And he's like he initially he initially thought and I can get Mike on whatever you want. He initially thought that, you know, hey, um, maybe they're trying, you know, when she said this, I'm thinking it's my brother. So I'm, I'm in a state of panic, like call the police on them and I'm speeding that way. And then, um, you know, long story short of it, you know, obviously we've seen the, the, the aftermath. Um, the city of Minneapolis itself is actually very, very diverse. Um, it's, 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 it's very, uh, um, it's, it's a very different city. You know what I'm saying? You, you have blacks and whites living together, you know, um, there's a lot of interracial relationships here as well. Um, it's a really big, um, you know, um, you know, gay, you know, a great gay and transgender uh, population here as well. One of the biggest in the country. So one thing I have always liked about this, we've kind of learned to accept people for who they are. And I've learned that in right. my high school years, like you may have a friend that's Asian or you may have a friend that's black that goes to school with you, but that guy's struggling just like you. That guy knows exactly what it's like to not have, right. you know what I'm saying? So that was the one thing that was always yeah. very unique. So please believe when you see all these white people walking with, 
the black people. That's Minneapolis because some of these, you know, white folks have brothers that's married their daughters and biracial kids. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot of my friends grew up with long curly hair. And you find out that, oh, my grandma white, she married this brother from Chicago. And, you know, so mm -hmm. you have that, you have, you have that, that vibe, you know, of a lot of biracial kids and a lot of, um, you know, interracial relationships. So people, you know, do feel it from a lot of different angles because you may be right. Filipino and black, you know, but, you know, you, you feeling that like, man, I'm a Filipino woman, but my two sons, you know, what about when they go out the car, go out and jump in their car because they going to be treated because they father's African-American mm -hmm. and you can't tell me them two Filipino and black dudes ain't African-American the way society's going to look at them. So right. um, just knowing the community. You gave us some, right. You gave us some really good insight on the history because I think, you know, Minneapolis, both of us grew up there, went to high school and we kind of understand kind of how it flows, but a lot of people, Minneapolis has not been in the spotlight. Nah. You see Chicago, you see Detroit, you see Dallas, you see all these other cities. Minneapolis has always been the nice kind of liberal state where you kind of get in there, get what you want, but you're really focusing on how we got yeah. here. So with that background, with everybody kind of migrating there, the, the police department, uh -huh. even growing up, we know seven to 16 times likely to get yeah. arrested. They've always been aggressive. Always. Um, what was that like for you growing up as an African-American young man in Minneapolis? What are some of the things that you saw? Why do you think these white cops are so intimidated? I mean, you gave us some insight, but some of the stuff that we saw growing up was completely unnecessary because it was just for low-level crime. Yeah, no, it was unnecessary. I, I remember, and you may remember this as well, I remember getting pulled over in my driveway, okay? Um, you know, I'm, yes, I'm in my, I'm in my driveway. <laughs> my mom come out, and you know the cop is is throwing me on the car, and you know, and, yeah. and, and here's the thing, and I have I have tremendous respect for the front for the front line, like cops, you know, firefighters. Um, I know the the fire chief down here and the president of the African American you know firefighter association, Charles Rucker, played in Nebraska. He's like a big bro and mentor to me. We met each other through youth football. Um, you know, Jeff Robinson, the head scout of the Vikings. I, I can tell you about some right. strong brothers in the city that when I came up, they they made sure that they were there for me in whichever way that that was, right? And they're, they're on the front right. line as well. So I have respect for guys uh, on the front line. But I can tell you, at, at least when I was growing up, the way that I felt about cops here, and you heard me say it all the time as a kid, I said, I never want my son to be a cop. I said that for years. I said, I, don't, mm -hmm. I, I never want my kid to ever be a cop because I had been so broken and had been so, has been mm -hmm. like, what's the word I want to say? I mean, I was just scarred. I was scarred. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, like Levi Bradley was scarred by the Minneapolis PD. And I want a street dude. I didn't catch no criminal charges, just the harassment and the, how many times you get thrown on the car and, and get treated unjust and oh you want these guys from chicago huh you want these guys from detroit huh and, and, you know, mm -hmm. like, what's that got to do with anything like i'm going to school i'm playing ball and just seeing so many friends like in that neighborhood get harassed and thrown against you know the cars and you know and you know the whole planting drugs on guys that had that wasn't even that type of dude and mm -hmm. if we didn't have different brothers that were you know in the community that we knew that were reputable that knew like man them kids are ball players the Larry Fitzgerald doesn't make right. it. You know, the Troy Bell doesn't make it. The Alan Anderson, who mm -hmm. went to Michigan mm -hmm. State, but went to Edison High School with my big sister, and she was his tutor. People don't know that. She was right. his tutor, 
and then mm-hmm. he ends up transferring to Minneapolis dealer sales. Then he goes to Michigan State, does his thing on the hoop side, and then goes to the NBA. And I still talk to Alan Anderson. That's still one of one of our yeah. day one friends. Mm-hmm. But you know, mm-hmm. people understand like what we all went through in high school. It made me say, I have to find a way to get into coaching or do something to help these kids. And when I used to pop up in Detroit or pop up in camps and all over the country with 10, 11 kids from, from Minneapolis, St. Paul, people looked at me like I was foreign. Like, man, like what, what's that? I'm like, these, these some dogs I got from Minnesota. And long story short, all, all, all 10, 11 of those kids end up making names for themselves and, and gaining their respect across the country. And not, the majority of them are, are doing positive things with their degrees. And really half of them are sitting in the NFL. Three of them just got drafted this year. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, shout out to Detroit for providing right. that, that platform through the camps and the opportunities for these kids. Because I'm like, if these kids don't get out of here, just like any city, they're going right. to end up being a part of these different crews and regimes because they're in poverty and they want out. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of, a lot of opportunity yeah. here. But the cops growing up here, they, they were definitely... Um, De- de- definitely racist, um, and I and I don't want to say that for all of them because I know they're not to be true for all of them. But it, it definitely was a lot of tension, and it definitely uh, was hard because you know you always were pulled over, you were always racially profiled. Um, everybody had the same script. Oh, your license plate light was out. It was like what, like to the point where people knew to make sure their license plate light was not out. Um, you, <laughs> right. So it, it was just anything, anything to try to pull you over, to try to try to get. Anything. Get in your head. And that does over a period of time, it causes a mental health strain. And I know even with our mom, you know, you going out of the Man. house, she worried about you 10 times more than Man. she did us because of the different dynamics that were going on. But what do you want, you know, people to know about black men in this country? Because I think people have a perception about black men. What would you want them to know? As we, you know, put, put the podcast out and people are going to share as an African-American male that grew up in police brutality in these communities, what do you want them to know about being a black man? Well, what I would say is, you know, first and foremost, as, you know, black men across the country, you know, we're, we're, we're men before anything, first and foremost. We, we happen to be men before anything. So, so look at us as men. Don't look at us as black men. Look at us as men first. You know, we're kings. We, we run our own regimes. We run our own kingdoms. We tap in and tie in with other kings. And we sit down at the table and make king decisions, okay? And whether that king is of Asian descent or African-American descent or, or white descent, whatever, right? But here's the thing when it comes to our people. Um, I'm biased because I'm African-American. I, I feel like we have some of the greatest thinkers, some of the, you know, the, the greatest entrepreneurs and some of the, you know, we, we have people that have had a profound impact on, on, on the United States of America. Um, and I'm not expecting to get that credit and a high five and a hug from that. But what I am expecting moving forward from this is respect. I think the key word is, is respect, you know, because you have to respect the black man. And you, you, even in our own community, we sometimes don't respect each other as black men. We sometimes don't do, do good when it comes to to black business just in the sense that you know the the hookup hurts black business but we automatically come into a black community or a black business looking for the hookup hey dog you know how it is yeah i do know how it is but guess what i still got to run this business i still need you to buy these chips and buy the stuff that i'm selling at this store you know what i'm saying but we're always looking a lot of times you know what i'm saying for for the hookup and that hurts black business and i think if you respect your 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 brother and respect his business in the black community 
you know, you'll see it grow because there's money coming into the community, right? But then just respect on a national right. level, like just outside our community when it comes to different races and different people. And not, we're not saying it's going to happen overnight, but I think everyone is basically saying, you know, through all these protests, we're tired, we're frustrated, enough is enough. And you need to respect us as human beings, respect us as black men, stop mm -hmm. feel, feeling threatened by us. Because if you guys thought that, you know, you know what you've been doing the last couple of years or something and, and we're, we're just frustrated and you know this floyd situation just had us all kind of just boil over and these fires in minneapolis and this chaos in minneapolis and how it spread into different cities and you thought that was something i think we all know that this is very very light compared to how it can where it can go because you saw on day four last mm -hmm. night as i stayed up to two o'clock three o'clock in the morning how eventually the rest of the country said you know what well, we got problems with our you know, police department, we have our own internal affairs. We have our own, you know, funk with mm -hmm. our police department, you know, Detroit PD and Chicago PD. I talked to Chicago PD right. cops. I know last night, uh, the head of homicides, one of my, one of my good friends, and he, he's, he's an Irish dude from Bridgeport, he's straight from the city. And, um, he talked to me on the phone and I'm talking to him and all the chaos is going on. And he's like, man, this is crazy, you know? And this is a guy that is, is on the mm -hmm. front line that, that that don't look like you and I that, I that I know and trust to be a reputable dude. And I talk to cops uh, across the country in different cities I know that are African-American, including um, African-American coaches I know here um, in the city of Minneapolis. And it, it's, it's, it's sad to say that it's a lot going on on the front line. It's so much that people aren't seeing. Um, but respect is the key, um, it, 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 the key word I would say. Um, that we want as black men, because when I when I went out there for the little time being that I was out there to just try to ch check in and show my respect. Uh, and once I left the, the peaceful gathering to just get back on the highway and get a chance to get on the highway, I, I had no choice but to go down Lake Street because they have everything blocked off and detoured and there's some construction going on. So you have to go down and the things I seen, it broke my it, it broke my heart. It truly, truly broke my heart, you know, to yeah. to see, you know, like the way the city was reacting. And then I was able to see exactly what was going on. Like you got the protesters. That's that one group. They're of all color and creed. They are truly, you know, with a positive vibe and message. Their energy and synergy is perfect. It, it, it is what it is. We're pissed. We're ticked off. And that's that. But then you got this other regime that's blending in, playing the game. And they just looking for licks and opportunities. They're opportunistic. Like, oh, okay, there's a store. We're going to slide off over here and kick this in. Then you got this other group, you know, uh, they're saying they're seeing these white supremacy groups and other groups. And I'm not learn is regardless if you're in a good neighborhood, a bad neighborhood, we still treat people that look like us the same in every neighborhood. And it's not right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so we just got to do a better job as a people, because once we gain respect and take care of our household and that energy filters out in our communities and our society, that will maybe change. We may not be able to change the racism that is basically yeah. basically attacking us every day. But we got to start from home and really start building each other up so that we can collectively fight against these things that are coming against us. I mean, that's real talk right there. I don't think people like to talk mm -hmm. at that level, but we do need to take some self-responsibility for our communities. You know, all fathers need to be accountable for their children. All communities need to be accountable for their business. People need to come together and be able to bridge those communities so we can fight together and stand together strong. 
I mean, what you're saying is making so much sense. And um, I just appreciate your feedback. And thank you so much for coming on to the show. Um, we might hit back later because we might have some more guests that's coming on, just really getting that feedback. I'm going to be talking all week about this. So I definitely, you know, know that we can heal and come together. So thank you for coming on the Bill Reese Teach podcast, my brother. And um, I'll be checking in with you. Love you so yeah, much. Um, thank you for having me on. The last thing I'll say, Shanina, just in conclusion, is something I told myself going through college, something I told myself through life, my own personal quote has always been, nothing's over until the moment you stop trying. And it's plenty of days in my life and plenty mm -hmm. of situations where I wanted to quit like everybody. But it was easy for me to dig deep and keep going right. because I remember that nothing is over until the moment you stop trying. So as long as we keep working and keep trying to get better and, and do better, we'll get there. Um, you know, we like to be there sooner than later, but we will get there. And, um, you know, let's, let's continue to use this platform, you know, and let's continue to help um, each other in whichever way we can get this message um, out and, and get this, you know, under control as far as this police brutality when it comes to people of color, particularly African-American men. All right. Thanks for coming All on. Right, I'll talk good. to you soon, yeah. my brother. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to Bill Reese Teach Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. I just want to thank my brother, Levi Bradley, for coming on and giving us that great insight. I know the police department in Minneapolis, there's some great officers on the line in Minneapolis, but we have a lot to work on as it relates to a community and the culture of the Minneapolis police and St. Paul police department. So my greatest prayer goes out that they will continue to work on themselves as a department and really serve the community. We have one more podcast tomorrow. We have another wonderful, amazing brother coming on talking about his experience um, until then, thank you for tuning in and I will see you soon and hear from you soon. Love you.